Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. It might be cold outside. But the sports calendar is heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. When you win, you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out the same-game parlay plus. And FanDuel is now live in Maryland, near where Javante Davis is going to fight in just a few weeks. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Promo code BOXING. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right. A lot to get into this week. At a busy weekend in boxing last weekend, uh, to my guest, Keith Idex, surprise, I made an appearance at a non-DAZN fight last weekend. I was at Madison Square Garden for the Teofimo Lopez win over Sandor Martin. He is in Las Vegas for the Martin Rivera fight, which will take place on Showtime. A very good fight, although I'm curious to see how it does uh, in terms of television ratings. This is a fight that... You know, two young-ish, you know, would-be contenders uh, going at it. I'm very interested in that fight this week. And talk about that and much more. Let's bring in Keith Eidek. Uh, out in Las Vegas, his home away from home, his favorite place to be on earth, Keith Eidek is here. What's up, Keith? Chris, what's going on? Yeah, it's, uh, it is my home away from home. So a little less time here this year overall than uh, than in the past, but uh, still probably about 40 days when it's all said and done, so. 
Yeah, familiar with Las Vegas for sure. And and listen, whenever you show up to a fight, it's an honor to have you at ringside. <laughs> so Saturday night was a was a rare treat, you know. Yes, uh, to see my second fight for Sandra Martin in as many years, and uh, I'm not entirely sure I need to see a third. We'll get into that um, a little later on in the show. We're going to get into Martin Rivera, terrific fight that's going to air on Showtime this weekend. But I do want to look back. Um, at a couple of things. Let, let's start with Terrence Crawford. Uh, number one pound for pound on my list. Top three, at least on virtually everybody else's. Uh, he returns after a 13-month layoff and stops David Avenesian in the sixth round. That fight went largely as I expected. Um, you know, Avenesian is not bad. He's probably a B, B-minus level fighter. And look, he applied pressure early on. Took Crawford a little bit of time to kind of figure him out. But once he did, he landed an uppercut hook combination that has put Avenesian to sleep and reinforced to the Crawford supporters why he belongs atop the pound-for-pound pound list. Um, any surprises for you first, Keith, in that fight? Uh, not from the way that it played out, Chris. You know, Terrence Crawford, I've always had him number one pound-for-pound, pound, and I understand the criticism of of his resume and that he hasn't fought Errol Spence. I get all that stuff, but I, from a talent perspective, from – uh, you know, the way he from what he's done in his career, I've always had him pound for pound number one. And I understood the arguments for Canelo. Having said that, uh, he beat David Avenison in a convincing way that I expected that that right hook was, you know, he put him to sleep, basically. And that's what Terrence Crawford does. He gets in there. He computes. He breaks you down. He beats you up and, you know, usually knocks you out. The one thing that surprised me about the fight, Chris, and I think we're going to have some sort of issue here moving forward, is that Terrence Crawford's gloves came apart. Hmm. And there wasn't really anything done about it. I was sort of surprised. You know, of course, we were at the garden. I, I watched the fight in the wee hours of the morning when I got home from the garden. And, uh, you know, uh, Rick Reno had told me on my drive home what happened with the gloves. And I, I was surprised. You know, Rick Reno uh, runs boxing scene. Um, he, you know, and when I got I was surprised that uh, his gloves were torn in the way that they were and that they took a real good look at the gloves before the start of the sixth round and allowed him to continue. I mean, they're meticulous about the gloves, Chris. Every commission, mm -hmm. I know Nebraska's not a big boxing commission. I understand they don't have a lot of fights there and everything, but they did have uh, WBO supervisors and uh, and the referee was from New Jersey. They had experienced people at ringside. And when I saw the way the gloves came apart, I, I was really stunned that they did not make him put on the backup gloves. Now, of course, you're going to have an interruption of the fight. Uh, people are going to get bored. The fighters are going to get cold. But you simply should not – this is not Terrence Crawford's fault, of course, but you should not have fighters uh, boxing with with torn gloves like that. That, that just should not happen. So um, it looks like David Avenison is going to file a protest related to this uh, situation. I don't know that it's going to go anywhere necessarily, but he has a valid point. Yeah, well, just let's get into that for a second because that was bizarre. I, I haven't seen an incident of gloves tearing in a long time. And you, know, you when you look at the gloves in the aftermath, it's a pretty big tear it had – along the side of the gloves. I mean, when is the fallout from something like that? I mean, I saw Everlast quickly came out and sort of fell at its sword and took some of the blame for it. Um, I'm with you. I don't think Avenesian has much of a gripe. In fact, if he did have a gripe, I, I, you got to kind of put up the protest during the fight, right? Like you kind of got to be more agitated about it in the moment. Uh, is there any fallout from something like this? No, again, he's going to go through... Uh, the process and do what they need to do uh, in real time though Chris I don't know that his corner now this is a fault of theirs of course but I'm not sure they took a close look at the gloves maybe had they seen it 
uh, really what the damage was that was done to the gloves. They would have put up more of a protest at, uh, before the sixth round started. Um, and, and again, I don't expect the decision to be overturned or anything like that because the officials at ringside, uh, the onus is on them to stop the fight from moving forward. And it's really their fault. Uh, it's not like they didn't inspect the gloves. They did. I just don't understand why the fight, they have backup gloves. And and like you said, Chris, we don't, we never see this. I mean, gloves are usually made well. This, you know, there are times in a fight when a glove will tear for some reason or another, but it is very rare, particularly in the place where it tore. Uh, it's just not something we're accustomed to seeing, especially when they're custom made gloves. Everlast does a great job. You know, other companies, Grant and others do great jobs with the gloves. It's just extremely uncommon. And unfortunately for Crawford, you know, put some sort of controversy around what really should not have been a controversial result. Yeah. And, I think you and I would both agree. I don't think the torn gloves had any impact on the outcome. You could see Crawford from like the fourth round on start to slowly put his foot on that gas pedal, landing body shots that were starting to slow Avenesian down, then coming up with that combination. Um, when, I, when I look at it in a boxing big picture perspective, what that fight did to me, Keith, was it at least preserved in my mind the idea that a Crawford-Spence fight next year will still be elite against elite. I was a little worried coming in that Crawford at 35 years old might show some signs of decline. He did get tapped a couple of times by Avanesian, but Avanesian, I don't think he won any of the rounds um, in that fight. And, you know, he eventually picked up what was his 10th consecutive knockout, which you really don't see from, you know, world champions fighting at this stage of their career. More often than not, most of your knockouts for fighters come early in your career. Crawford's now picked up 10 straight um, at this stage. So that's pretty impressive. Um, I still I still saw a fighter, Keith, at the top of his game. And I was at least glad to see that because if they are able to revisit a Spence fight for the middle of next year, because of what I saw from Crawford, I'll go into that fight thinking you're still going to get a guy at the top of, I keep saying top of his game, but a guy at his very best. Yeah, Chris, I agree. And I think it's a testament toward the way Terrence Crawford lives his life. You know, he does not blow up in weight between fights. Um, he trains every person that I've ever talked to who has been in training camp with, and they're all very deferential to Crawford because of his pound-for-pound pound status and everything. But you talk to Shakur Stevenson, Keyshawn Davis, uh, Stephen Nelson, other guys who spend time training alongside Terrence Crawford, he is a beast in training. He takes it extremely serious, cuts no corners. Uh, he's an inspiration for those younger fighters to – uh, to show them the way that you really need to behave as a world champion so that you're always in tip-top shape and that you never leave any stone unturned. And Chris, look at how he's he's gone about his career in the last few years. Some of it uh, through no fault of his own, in this case maybe more so. He doesn't fight that often. He fights once a year or so, mm -hmm. and then he come, comes around that one time per year and fights like the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. No one, people can say whatever they want about Sean Porter, that he had one foot in the, you know, some of the things that were said after the fight, that he had one foot in the ring and one foot out. No one, and I mean no one, ever did that to Sean Porter. Mm -hmm. It's not like Sean, you know, like he was, he's the same age as Terrence Crawford. So it's not like he was some older fighter. That had never been done to him. And Terrence Crawford came in off a one year layoff and did what he did. Now takes another, you know, a 13 month layoff or so, comes in and not Avenesian's not Sean Porter. Um, but, you know, he does what he does. He's an elite level fighter. And you're right in that if they do finally fight this year, and who knows, they do finally fight, it it, it will be an elite welterweight against an elite welterweight. Let's just hope that we see it. So you, 
are as in tune or in touch with the people involved with the Crawford Spence negotiations you can be. Um, how easy do you think it's going to be to rekindle those talks at some point next year? Because I, I thought it was notable that when asked directly after the fight about Errol Spence, Crawford didn't really go there. He said looking to get the big names, but he didn't specify um, that it was Spencer bust. And that's kind of what it's got to be. I mean, I don't know what Terrence Crawford would do, at least not at 147 after this. Does he look for the winner of Virgil Ortiz, Stanionis? Does he challenge Boots Ennis? Like, I don't see those as being the kind of money-making fights that that Spence will be. Um, do you foresee it being difficult to restart those talks and get past whatever it was they needed to get past the last time? I do see it being difficult, Chris, and the reason primarily that I see it being difficult is because of the way Terrence Crawford went about finalizing this deal with Avenician. Had he gone to Al Heyman, and I understand the flip side, Al Heyman is the most secretive guy, and but you know he never speaks to the media. People don't know what's going on behind the scenes. People are mistrustful for whatever reason about what's going on with PBC and such. But you know, PBC's detractors. I mean, um, so I understand they're going to say, well, why does he owe that to Al Heyman? I just think it would have been better business. For Terrence Crawford to have told Al Heyman, look, I told you from the beginning I was getting in a fight this year. For whatever reason, the Spence fight is not happening this year. I am going to fight before the end of December. I have this deal for to fight David Avenesian for an enormous amount of money based on what type of opponent he is. I'm going to move forward with this fight. Hopefully we can revisit the negotiations after I go beat him up. But he didn't do that. He he. Al Heyman didn't really know that he was fighting David, David Avenesian until a couple hours before anyone else knew. So that's not a way to, to build trust within uh, what's already from Crawford's perspective, a mistrustful partnership, so to speak. You know, I just don't, I don't know how they go. I'm not saying they can't, but it won't be easy because not, you now Heyman is going to be very mistrustful of Crawford. So, and Crawford clearly is mistrustful of Heyman. So, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think it's going to be just as easy as, you know, Errol Spence fights Keith Thurman uh, in February, and then they just pick up negotiations where they left off. I don't, I don't think it's going to be that easy. So Crawford was able to walk away from the Spence negotiations because he had this massive offer from BLK Prime to fight a lesser opponent like David Avenesian. Do you think that option is going to be available to him next year? It's kind of my way of asking about the future of BLK Prime because, look, they, they released this press release with flowery language. They said, you know, early early returns exceed expectations. I don't believe any of that. Like, there's there's no way this could have been anything but a financial disaster for BLK Prime if they paid him the reported $10 million that is out there that they paid. And they had to pay Avenesian something. They had to put together the event. They did a good number in Omaha. I'll give them credit for that, but I can't imagine what a live gate in Omaha um, is equivalent to. So do you think this is the start of a potential relationship with BLK Prime? And do you think BLK Prime is going to be around like this time next year doing fights like this? No and no. <laughs> That's kind of what I think too, but you go first. There you go. I, you know, I don't foresee Terrence Crawford being able to do another fight with BLK Prime because I don't think that this event would have will have been a financial success. We all knew that Terrence Crawford would sell tickets at Omaha. He always has. He's, financial he's disaster. A, Let's just call it like it, it had to have been a financial yeah, I mean, disaster. Look, Chris, even as we've discussed before and I've discussed with other people on podcasts and whatever, 
let's just say the guarantee was five million. It would still be hard to turn a profit if the if the guarantee was five million because even at the lower price price point, I just don't believe that a lot of people bought the fight. You know, partic- you know, people pirate the fight and all that. That's another issue altogether. But I don't think a lot of people were going to plunk down forty bucks when there was a competing card on ESPN. And yeah, Tifimo Lopez Sandor Martin. It was not you know Ali Frazier or anything. I'm not saying it was you know far and away better than Crawford and Avenir, but it was on ESPN. You got three of the top prospects on their way up in boxing and in, in different weight classes fighting on the undercard. Sean Davis, Xander Zayas, and, and uh, Jared Anderson, who looked fantastic on Saturday night. Um, so, you know, people would watch that. I mean, I, I just don't know that there were going to be, even among the hardcore fans, the same number of buyers as usual, even among that hardcore fan base that were going to buy this fight. Plus, there there was a lot, whether it's fair or not, because Terrence Crawford just took advantage of a uh, financial opportunity that was presented to him. There was some resentment among boxing fans that they didn't want to help fund this event because Crawford went forward with a fight other than Spence. You know, maybe some of that plays into, into uh, comes into play here. So I just don't think it was a financial success. And um, I would, I would be, it, it would be hard to convince me that Adrian Broner is going to fight Ivan Redcash in February, that that event is going to move forward. Um, you and are not, does, I'm sure you talk to people like everyone I've talked to in Ivan Redcatch's camp doesn't believe it's going to go forward, like both for financial reasons and the fact that Adrian Broner looked like a cruiserweight at the press conference. So I, I did. There's nobody like they're preparing for it. They'll be ready. Ivan Redcatch works out a wild card. They'll be ready to go. But th- there is a strong disbelief amongst people around him that that fight's going to go forward. And Chris, even if it does go forward, what is the point oh, of it? I don't know. I don't know. There's no point to it. You're putting it on paper. It makes no sense. You, you, know, you want to know what eight- they should have done? You know what they should have done? I mean, first of all, Broner's got to find his way into fighting shape. That's number one. Number two, they should have found a way to do Broner and Roly Romero. Like, I don't think that's a good fight either. But the way those two talk, you could have at least built it up over the course of a month, month and a half into something that maybe might have registered some interest. It still would have been a financial loss, but it's just more appealing than Broner Redcatch. When the last time we saw Redcatch, Regis Proger was beating him up and he's been off for a long time. So I just, I don't see, I'm with you. I don't see the marketability of a fight like that. And also uh, just look, look what just happened. Adrian Broner was supposed to fight Omar Figueroa Jr. on August 20th. And the week of the fight, he withdrew from it and said he wasn't in the right mental space. And I don't want to, you know, I I don't know, you know, whatever was going on, uh, you know, I wish Adrian Broner well, but how would you have confidence then that he's going to get to the, to the point of this, let's just say the fight remains intact. Well, how do you know he's not going to get to fight week and then withdraw from the fight because he doesn't feel like he's in the right emotional or mental uh, place to, to fight. You know, it's a, a, the whole thing is odd because you're building a pay-per-view fight around a guy who hasn't fought in quite some time and just withdrew from a fight four months ago because he he just was not capable of, of fighting. A, a pay-per-view fight that no network in their right mind would put on pay-per-view. They, they wouldn't. This would be kind of a low-level Showtime fight if it was on that network. Um, it, it just, I, I don't know who's buying that. Like, Broner's ratings have steadily declined in recent years. He used to be this really marketable guy at his peak, but he's not that guy anymore, largely because... He hasn't had much success in recent years. His last fight, the majority of people watching thought it was either a draw or he lost. So I don't I don't really understand the the thinking there that 
that that's going to be your next step in the boxing space. It just doesn't sound like it's a, a moneymaker at all. Um, all right, let's talk about the fight we were at this past weekend, the show at Madison Square Garden. Teofimo Lopez headlines and squeezes out a decision against Sandor Martin. Let's start with the results. Um, how did you score the fight, and did you have a problem with the uh, decision? Well, I could see Tiafimo Lopez winning the fight very narrowly. You know, it was a, it was a close fight, Chris. I, I'm not going to, you know, to, to score eight rounds for Tiafimo Lopez is ridiculous. You know, one of the judges had it eight rounds to two. Another had it seven rounds to three. I didn't think it was that type of fight. I saw a five, five, six, four type of fight. Um, look, judges favor aggression, whether that's fair to pure boxers or not. That's the reality of scoring boxing. They favor uh, the the aggressor, the guy who's pushing the fight, which is what Teofimo Lopez tried to do. Uh, I don't know that he was all that effective at doing it. He himself would tell you that he wasn't. He he came out of the ring. You know, I you saw everything that was caught on the hot mic where he said, you know, do I still got it? I mean, he was even questioning himself after that performance and had said repeatedly after he left the ring that he's got work to do. This was not his best performance. He even said on his way back to the dressing room, Chris, he said, I might have even performed better in the Cambosis fight than I performed in this fight. So he I think was he did. displeased, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, people tend to overreact. Boxing fans tend to overreact with every performance, as we well know. So does this mean that Tiafimo Lopez is done at the top level because he struggled against Sandor Martin? I don't think that. And, and Sandor Martin's pretty good. He doesn't have the most appealing style, but he just beat Mikey Garcia. Mm -hmm. He probably seven rounds of that fight. Mikey Garcia was a four-division world champion who had only lost to Errol Spence. Um, so he can box. But he said something that was interesting to me to Bernardo Osuna after the fight as well, Chris. He said, you know, maybe I need to go to war more. I don't know that war is necessarily the right way for him to fight. But he himself acknowledged, yeah, maybe I didn't do – without coming out and saying it, yeah, maybe I didn't do enough. While he thinks he was robbed and that he won the fight – in the back of his mind, he's saying, eh, maybe I should have done this. I should have done that. You know, but, so, you know, but that's that's scoring boxing, the subjective science that it is and leaves us all uh, frustrated and annoyed sometimes. Yeah, I scored the fight for Teofimo. Um, I was ringside for Sandor Martin against Mikey Garcia. I scored that fight for Sandor Martin. That was a much more convincing win than what Sandor Martin probably believes happened at the Garden. Um, copy box numbers aren't everything, but... You look at each round, Teofimo was outlanding him, albeit by one or two punches for most of, of the rounds. And the connection rate on power punches was significantly bigger for Teofimo Lopez. I just, it's just really hard to win. To your point, it's really hard to win fighting like that. Like you've got to clearly win rounds if you're going to fight backpedaling the entire time. Um, he had a lot of success doing it against Mikey. I don't think he was as successful against Teofimo. If it had been a draw, I probably would have been okay with that. I would not have been okay with Martin coming away with the win because I don't think he did enough uh, in this fight. And, you know, people on Twitter getting on Teofimo was one thing. Even some media or quasi-media members getting on Teofimo. I was surprised how many fighters kind of got on him. Like, I defy any of the top 140 pounders to go out there and dominate Sandra Martin. It's just tough to do. Like, Mikey Garcia, who has an argument to be in the Hall of Fame... Couldn't do anything with him. Struggled with him. Now, some of that had to do with Mikey Garcia having one foot out the door as well, but he struggled in that fight. At a weight class, the Sandro Martin was not especially comfortable at, above 140. This was Sandro Martin's natural weight. Despite the fact he took the fight on short notice, he came in in great shape. He had a good game plan. 
Teofimo was not preparing for a fighter like Sandro Martin coming into this. So I think that has to be taken into account. And he just makes you look bad. And he's going to make everybody look bad. You put Sandro Martin in against Regis Progre, and Regis Progre isn't stopping him in the second round. You put him in with Josh Taylor, that's a hideous fight if you put Martin in with Josh Taylor. I'm just, I'm not here for the, you know, I can't believe he struggled with Sandro Martin. I agree. He needs work. And, I, I you know, maybe you don't have to replace his father, but I think they should start bringing in other voices. Somebody else to supplement that team Maybe in the same way that Devin Haney does and has done with Ben Davison and others over the years. I just, I, I don't think it was as catastrophic a performance as some people, including fighters, seem to believe that it was. Well, Chris, you know, the interesting thing is that he had another voice in his corner. Joey Gamasha. That's a good point. Him, and, and, and he fought very well and he got to the point where he beat Vasily Lomachenko. Uh, with Joey Gamash in his corner. So uh, I don't know really know what happened there, but Joey hasn't worked with him for his last few fights. So um, it, I agree with that. Uh, the one thing that troubled me maybe about... Good strategist, and, and again, Keith. One thing about Joey we should point out to people that aren't familiar. Very good strategist, Joey Gamash. Like, he had yeah. a lot to do with the strategy going into that Lomachenko fight. So he's uh, he's very good in that sense. Also, um, the thing that troubled me maybe more so than anything about Tiafimo's performance on Saturday is that he didn't make the adjustments during the fight that he needed to make because he continually came forward, lunged forward, and got caught with the counter right hook. And Sandor Martin knew how to handle him coming forward all night. And he knocked, he really should have been credited for two knockdowns. That knockdown and set, I could see the overhead view, it looking like he cupped him behind his head. But then we saw the other camera angles where it looked like he caught him more on the side of his head. My personal opinion is that that should have counted as a knockdown. That came from a counter right hook, as did the knockdown in the second round. Now, Lopez was not hurt either time. They were flash knockdowns, but they should have counted as additional. Well, one of them did count as an additional point for Sandor Martin, and the second one should have as well. And he just kept getting hit with that same punch. And that makes me wonder what he's being told in the corner, why he's not making those adjustments to... Uh, to to stop that from happening because it just happened time after time. Now, Sandor Martin didn't land a ton of punches in the fight, but that fight, that punch in particular was his money punch in the fight, and Tiafimo should have figured out a way uh, to combat that. And that's, I think, some of what he's referring to and saying we have work to do because he came into the fight. He had told me and he told other people that, you know, I, I do well with southpaws. I do great with southpaws, which, of course, Vasily Lomachenko is a southpaw. Diego Magdaleno was a southpaw who was way past his prime at that point. He, he beat up. Now, not every southpaw fights the same way, as we found out the other night. And and to credit to Sandor Martin. It's not the most appealing style. It's not something people are going to want to tune in to watch on any kind of repetitive basis. But it's effective. He's boxing. Now, some people call it running. Tiafimo Lopez calls it running. But, you know, he called it a master class of boxing. And in some ways, it was. I mean, I don't know. You know, he... he you need to be somewhat more aggressive, mm -hmm. as you said, to, to win that type of fight. But he boxed very well, and he fought through uh, a damaged nose, which happened in the first round. He de deserves credit for that as well. I don't know if it was broken necessarily, but there was a clash of heads in the first round, and his nose was all jacked up for nine-plus rounds. So uh, he deserves some credit. You know, it's not only what Tiafimo Lopez did not do. It's some of what Sandor Martin did and deserves credit for that. It was a difficult fight. It's not a fight any of us are going to want to see again, so please – I hope no one thinks there should be a rematch in any way, but um, but you know maybe it you know it gets people to fight Tiafimo Lopez. Now, I think personally, I think he's going to wind up fighting Josh Taylor. I think they're going to keep him away from Regis Progre because Progre is a big puncher. 
he's an unorthodox uh, southpaw. He doesn't fight conventionally. He doesn't fight anything like Sandor Martin. And he's still in the prime of his career, and he beat down Jose Zapata. I, I wouldn't pursue that fight if I were them. And I, and it obviously makes more sense for him to fight Taylor if Taylor beats Catterall, which is no foregone conclusion. And if he stays at 140 pounds, again, no foregone conclusion. But that's the fight to make that's easier to make because they're both with top rank. And I'm sure Taylor will look at the fight against Sandor Martin and say, yeah, bring Tiafimo Lopez across the pond here and I'll beat him up. Yeah, I, I think that is the way that they're – they're going to go. Um, it, it sounds like Regis Progre and Jose Ramirez are, are going to get a deal done some way or the other. It might have to go to purse bid for that to happen. And I don't know what the purse bid split is going to be. I don't think anyone knows at this point what the purse bid split is going to be. But that sounds like, it sounds at least possible. I've talked to people in Ramirez's camp and they say they want uh, that fight. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a sink or swim fight against Taylor, for sure. What worries me a little bit about, about Teofimo are two things. One, He's now been dropped by two non-punchers, right? Like, Cambosis is not a big puncher. Um, and Sander Martin is certainly not a big puncher. Now, he was caught by Martin at a difficult angle. He was lunging in. Some of it had to do with balance, but he was dropped. And he was legitimately dropped in the first round by George Cambosis in that fight. So, I start to wonder about his chin as we go into bigger fights with bigger punchers. The other thing is kind of his mental space, right? Like... You go back a year ago, and I was in those fighter meetings. You were around Teofimo. He was not in a good place. Like, a lot of that had to do with what was going on in his personal life. He was dealing with family issues. He had just had a baby. Uh, weight issues, professionally speaking, were problematic for him. So, you know, that was that. But then this fight comes around, and Teofimo seemed like he was in a better place. But I'm listening to Tim Bradley do an interview after the fight. And Bradley said something like, the Teofimo we saw in our fighter meeting was not the same guy we're used to seeing. It was not that same kind of upbeat guy. He was, he felt, Bradley felt like Lopez was going through some stuff. So, and Bradley knows, a former fighter, Hall of Famer now. Um, I, I wonder, I worry a little bit about where he is mentally. And there's no way to kind of, you know, project how to fix that. But I think that's something to watch as his career moves forward. You know, that's kind of my two cents. Yeah. First, you know, I went to visit Tiafimo Lopez in training camp. He was training in Jersey, Jersey yeah. and I about um, it was probably about eleven days before the fight. I went down there. I spent a lot. I was there for a couple hours, and I talked to him, you know, on and off the record. And he seemed like he was in a good place to me. You know, he, he he's uh, reconciled with his wife, and um, and his son is back in his life. You know, that's a that's a troublesome thing for for anyone. You know, when you're when you're separated from your wife and your and your son is not in your. You know, that that's tough. That's tough stuff. You know. Um, so it seemed to me that he was in a good place, you know, mentally going into the fight, but, um, uh, certainly more so than he's, that he would have been, although I wasn't there for fight week because I was here covering a fight, um, when he fought George Cambosis, but certainly in a better place mentally, um, than he was going into that fight. So, uh, the thing about his chin that I would just say, Chris, is, uh, I, I agree with you. It's concerning because he's been down, you know, three times, well, twice officially, but, probably three times. Um, the, it does seem to be a balance issue more than anything because mm -hmm. he's getting these shots as he's lunging forward. He's he's His feet are not placed in the right position and he has gotten right up each time. It never seemed to me uh, in each of those three instances that he was really hurt. It just seemed like he went down and said, gosh, like more annoyed at himself than anything and then just got right back into the fight. He did not seem hurt against George Cambosis to me either. Um but you're right. I mean, it keeps happening, and and that's a thing you're going to have to fix. It's from a 
a strategic standpoint, from a fundamental standpoint, you're going to have to fix those things because if you do that against Josh Taylor, you know, maybe he puts you away. Or certainly if you do that against Regis Progray, he's going to put you away. So, uh, yeah, those are things uh, that he needs to correct moving forward. And as you said, probably not a bad idea. I, I don't know if the situation with Joey Gamash is fixable and they can bring him back, but bring another voice back into his corner uh, because that certainly seems to be needed. Whatever he was doing going into the Lomachenko fight, do that. Bring the same people back into your life in that one because that was your career-defining performance and you want to get back to being that fighter uh, once again. All right, let's talk about a fight that happened just a couple of days ago. Noyoya Inoue, the now undisputed champion at 118 pounds after stopping Paul Butler in the 11th round. Not surprising. Paul Butler took the fight. Didn't really seem like he was coming to win the fight. Um, had a survival strategy, I guess. <laughs> he, was, he was on the move a lot. He was in good shape. I'll give him that. <clears throat> He stayed on the move for the majority of 11 rounds. In a way, eventually catches up to him. I don't really want to talk about the fight itself because it was so one-sided. It was 10 rounds to none before In a way blasted him out of there in the 11th round. In a way, now moves to 122 pounds or will move to 122 pounds. Um, start here. Do you think how dominant he was at 118 can carry over to a higher weight class? Yeah, it depends on how well he carries his power, which I think he will because he's a pretty big puncher. You know, he's you know he's uh, you know, he's the monster for a reason for sure. Uh, I there are good fights for him at 122, but guys are moving up as well. You know, like it looks like Stephen Fulton is going to move. You know, the guys are are, are advancing in weight. So, um, you know, Akhmadaliyev is there as titles. There there are interesting fights for him. You know. Um, but yeah, but what there's nothing left for him to accomplish at 118 pounds, right? So what, you know, there were remember there were people last year or whenever. Oh, I'd love to see him fight Chocolatito. No, 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 no. Out of your mind, like uh, <laughs> what are you, you trying to get uh, Chocolatito killed? I mean, you <laughs> that's know, that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> so, so there's nothing really there for him in in that weight class or anyone coming up from you know uh, 115 that would be an appealing fight in any way, as far as I can tell. So, um, yeah, so it's time for him to move up. And then what kind of fights can they make? Can he get the champions? And, you know, we'll see. But that's where he needs to go. I mean, because there's nothing left for him to accomplish at bantamweight. Yeah, I think that Stephen Fulton would fight him. Um, sounds like based on some of his social media posts, he's interested in coming back down and fighting him, defending his titles. I think the challenge there is getting Fulton to Japan, frankly, because... You know this, like, in a way, makes a lot of money over there. Like, millions fighting over there. Almost doesn't matter who he fights sometimes. He makes a lot of money in that market. More probably than he would make fighting on ESPN or Showtime over here. So, uh, can I see a PBC fighter going to Japan to take on Inoue? I, I don't know. I don't know if I see that. I think that's going to be a big challenge for that fight. I think Akhmedaliev would do it. Akhmedaliev has no fan base anywhere, so he can go wherever. His problem right now is that he's got another mandatory, which I think is his 36th mandatory in the last three years. There's a purse bid for that, I think, next week. It's the IBF, I believe. And he's going to have to take care of that mandatory. But if he gets through that, and maybe the timing winds up good here, if he gets through his mandatory, um, in a way moves up, gets one fight at 122 to get used to it, it's a pretty big fight the middle of next year. And I, like I said, I don't think Akhmedaliev would blink about going over to Japan to fight Noya in a way. Yeah, I think the Akhmedaliev option is more realistic than Fulton I, because 
I'm not saying Fulton doesn't want the fight from a business standpoint. There are a, a multitude of reasons why it won't happen. Um, and I do think that he's going to settle in at 126 pounds and just stay there because it's hard to make. I mean, he's a he's a tall kid for the weight class, and it's not easy to make 122 pounds. And, uh, you know, he himself wants to fight Ahmed. That's the fight he wants. He wants to become the fully unified champion. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. So, you know, of course, Inoue is a, is a big star in Japan, and he's arguably, you know, some people have number one pound for pound, two, three, whatever. Uh, that's a bigger fight for Stephen Fulton, but the more meaningful fight to him is fighting Akhmadalia for full supremacy in the 122-pound division, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. He has plenty of options at 126 pounds if he moves up in the PBC universe. There's a rematch with Brandon Figueroa, which I think people would really want to see, um, and I think that's more the direction he's going to wind up going. You know what? In terms of which fight I think is more aesthetically pleasing, I actually think Akhmadalia against Inouye would be a better television fight. Um, Akhmadaliyev is a talented guy who can crack. Uh, like he's, And I think he'd be aggressive. I think he'd throw some punches. I, I think he would really test Inouye in a fight. So I, I kind of hope that Inouye gets a fight early next year, Akhmadaliyev gets a fight, and then middle of next year we get those two guys clashing for two versions of the 122-pound uh, title. All right, a couple of things I want to finish with. Uh, we had a purse bid just a couple of days ago for... Virgil Ortiz and Stanley Onis, uh, Golden Boy, surprisingly to me anyway, they won that purse bid, uh, 2.3 million, 1.7 of which uh, Stanley Onis gets because of some interesting rule by the WBA to give 75% of the uh, purse bid to Stanley Onis. Um, it sounds like this fight's going to get made probably in late February or early March. Are you surprised that we're going to get a fight between two guys that are outside of Spence and Crawford at or near the top of 147 pound division. Somewhat surprised because you would expect that Stan Jonas would have tried, even though he's kind of sort of a PBC fighter, he, you know, they staying in the PBC universe, you know, you would think he would do that. Um, and they did try to do that. I mean, there was a while when Jerron Ennis was convinced that he was the one who was going to fight Stan Jonas. In my opinion, that's an unwinnable fight for Stan Jonas as good as he <laughs> proven to be. Um, I think Virgil Ortiz is, will beat him as well, but but I do see some vulnerability in Virgil Ortiz that I have not yet to see in Jerron Ennis that leads me to believe that San Jonas has a better chance to win that fight than he would if he would have fought Ennis. It's a good fight. Um, look, in, in this case, it's probably one of those instances, Chris, where the WBA's nonsense actually created something positive mm. because we would not have seen San Jonas fight Virgil Ortiz, and, and Ortiz has fought Kavalowskis. You know, he's fought some decent opponents, but this would probably be the best opponent of his career, would would be the best opponent of his career. It's an undefeated guy who looked very good against Butayev, who's, you know, strong and can punch. And uh, it's a good fight. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I hope it happens. And, um, you know, Virgil Ortiz is getting the short end of the money, but it's about the opportunity. Although this WBA title should not exist, it gives him some leverage in his own pursuits of welterweight title shots. And, you know, I think a lot of people uh, hope because – we don't really see Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence fighting Virgil Ortiz or Jerron Ennis that eventually, assuming they can remain at welterweight, that that's the fight. Jerron mm -hmm. Ennis, and people have been talking about it for a while now, Jerron Ennis against Virgil Ortiz. So this would put Ortiz in, in good position to try to make that fight happen. I, I spoke to Ennis about this last week and I said, look, I know everyone wants to see the Ortiz fight. I'd love to make it happen. I hope that's the fight for me. He goes, but... I kind of see Stan Jonas Ortiz as a 50-50 fight. I wouldn't be surprised if either guy won, and then I would just want to fight the winner. But um, 
But to answer your question, Chris, I, yes, I'm surprised somewhat that it's happening, but pleasantly surprised. And let's just hope it moves forward. And, and it's a really good fight in the first quarter of uh, of 2023 between two young undefeated guys. That's what we want. It's what exactly we're getting what we want. No, so maybe to a lesser degree, but we're getting that on Saturday night here in Vegas. Yeah, I, I think this Ortiz Danionis is is a can't miss type of fight. Like it's two guys, as you said, that can crack aggressive. You know, it's 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 excellent. And like credit to and I mentioned credit to Golden Boy and Ortiz's team. Um, I, I do think they'll be able to make up some money for Ortiz, whether DeZone gooses it a little bit to to make Ortiz happy. Or look, they go to Texas, they could probably do half a million dollar gate if they work hard down there. I mean, that's 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 reasonable as Ortiz has grown as a as a star, uh, kind of in that that area. Um, but they like when talking to people around Ortiz, like they want to get him that belt. Yeah, it's a fake belt, but they don't believe Spence is going to fight, you know, him if he's ordered to. Like, it, their, their thinking is that that WBA belt, he'll eventually get elevated to the full champion at WBA. Same thing with Boots Ennis. Like, you know, he's not, Spence is not going to fight Ennis. He's going to wait for Crawford or move up to 154. He, you know, he's been talking about moving up. So then we'd get, you know, full title holder Ortiz, full title holder Ennis. My hope is, and I talked to Ennis about this as well, I just don't want to get on the same merry-go-round we've been getting on with previous welterweights. I mean, whether you go back to Mayweather and Pacquiao circling each other for five years, Spence Crawford still circling each other. Um, I, I mean, are we about to do the same thing, do you think? Or is there any kind of reason to be optimistic that Ortiz and Ennis would fight sooner than, than I guess, the other welterweights out there? You know, hopefully that merry-go-round would last a, a little uh not as long as some of these other ones, but but they it will go on to some degree because they're going to fight, you know, make a mandatory defense or whatever. Like my point is, is if he beats Stan Jonas and when Jerron Ennis beats the crap out of whatever his name is, um, they will eventually, as you said, eventually be elevated to full champions, and then you know, hopefully within two years they would fight each other. Is that that's probably a realistic timetable? But the other thing is, as these guys grow, Chris, mm. I mean, and. 20, 25, Ortiz, I believe, is 24. They can't be expected to stay at welterweight forever. You know, Spence has been a welterweight his entire career. Crawford obviously moved up from lightweight uh, and won world titles at 35 and 40 before he got to welterweight. So he hasn't been a welterweight for his whole career or anything. But you can't, be, you know, it's got to be hard for Errol Spence, particularly because he's made the mistake of blowing up and weight between fights. It can't be easy for a guy who's 32 going on 33 years old to make that weight. He's a, you know, he's five, nine and a half, five, ten, whatever he is. And, you know, it can't be easy at that point. So hopefully sooner than later, they would, that fight would happen. Let's just hope they keep winning. And at least there's the possibility of that fight because that would, I would favor Ennis, of course, but a fascinating fight. I mean, Virgil Ortiz is a, is a beast. Yeah. Offense, a lot of offense out of Virgil Ortiz. Offense and skill out of Jerron Ennis. It's, it's an unbelievable fight for both those guys. Uh, You know, credit, and to your point, credit Spence for being able to make welterweight this long. Guy fought in the Olympics at 152. Like he's been at 147 for his entire pro career. It's it, yeah, I don't blame him at all for wanting to move up in weight. So I do think by like the middle of next year, last quarter of next year, winner of Ortiz Stanionis will be the full title holder there. Boots will be a full title IBF, and then hopefully, you know saner minds can prevail and we're not doing this all over again uh, at welterweight. All right, let's finish with uh, the fight you're at. Terrific fight. Frank Martin, Michael Rivera, two guys undefeated. Martin is what, 27? Michael Rivera is 24. 
they're both contenders. Um, surprised we're getting this fight? Like, you know, this is this is a great fight for people like you and me that, that watch these guys coming up. It, it doesn't have the broad mainstream appeal. It's the kind of fight that, you know, to borrow a Bob Arum phrase, that promoters would let marinate under different circumstances. What? Let me ask this. Why are they fighting? Like, I don't want to... I'm not poo-pooing it because I'm glad it's happening, but why are these two guys fighting right now at this stage of their career? Well, Chris, that's a great question, particularly from Michelle Rivera's standpoint, because he's ranked number two by the WBA, and he's in position to get a title shot sooner rather than later. Of course, he was hoping to fight uh, Tank Davis for another uh, WBA title that should not exist, but it would be a big fight for Michelle Rivera to go fight uh, Javante Davis in a pay-per-view event. So I was more surprised from his standpoint that he took the fight because he's ranked by all four. He's ranked by the IBF, WBA, WBC, and WBO. Has a very high ranking with, uh, and he's I think he's sixth by the IBF. He's in good position to uh, to get a title eliminator, and this fight is an eliminator as well, not a final eliminator, I don't think, but but an eliminator. Um, so I was more surprised that he took the fight because he seems to have a little bit more to lose than Frank Martin, who's only ranked by, I think it's the WBA. I think he's tenth by the BA. But Frank Martin is, uh, and boxing fan, hardcore boxing fans have watched him somewhat in the shadows come up here. Some of his fights have been televised by FS1, Fox, and then his last fight against Jackson Mariners was televised by Showtime. But Frank Martin's a very interesting guy, Chris, in that he only started boxing when he was 18 years old. He didn't walk into a boxing gym until nine years ago. And look where he is. He had 58 amateur fights in a place where you know boxing is not a hotbed. He, he fought most primarily in Indiana. Uh, he raised in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, born in Detroit, raised there a little bit too, but but moved to Indianapolis to start his amateur career. You don't hear too many fighters coming out of Indianapolis. He now obviously is trained by Errol Spence's trainer, Derek James in Dallas. He's promoted by Errol Spence's company. Um, he He's a very humble guy, but in my opinion, uh, one of the more underrated fighters that I've seen in boxing over the last couple of years and has come a very long way from someone who only started boxing nine years ago. Um, I wasn't surprised uh, that he took the fight as much as I was from Rivera's perspective because Frank Martin had said, and Errol Spence said, after he fought Jackson Marinez in the press conference, we will fight any lightweight that is willing to take the fight. And that proved to be true. Uh, it's a very good fight. It's an it's a, it's a hardcore boxing fans fight, Chris, obviously. Um, it's not going to, you know, uh, generate... Jermel Charlo, Brian Castaño type numbers on Showtime, but it's the type of fight that we want to see. And I give both guys credit for taking it because it's a high risk fight at this point in their careers. Uh, I wish more fighters would do this type of thing, uh, but I think it's going to be a very interesting fight. I favor Frank Martin. He's slightly favored. I believe he's a two to one favorite according to the odds makers. I think he'll win the fight, uh, but Michelle Rivera has proven uh, to be a very capable boxer. And again, lower profile fight, but a very, very good fight that I think hardcore boxing fans will really enjoy. Oh, I encourage people to watch it. It's it's going to be an excellent fight between two guys that uh, are quickly becoming names at 135. And I'll tell you this much, Keith. I will not, no matter the outcome, I will not criticize the loser because I, I you don't need to see these guys in against inferior opponents anymore. I give them all the credit in the world for stepping up and taking uh, fights of this caliber despite them not being as high profile or lucrative as maybe it would have been a year from now if they had fought uh, some lesser guys. Real quick, um, what'd you think of Devin Haney kind of clapping back at top rank a little bit over the last couple of days? Devin Haney, Devin Haney wants the Lomachenko fight in March. 
right? Because Devin Haney is Muslim. He is planning to observe Ramadan. And the way Haney is framing it, he believes Top Rank wants to stage the fight in May, which he believes because of, you know, because of Ramadan would not allow him to train properly for that fight. We know Devin Haney, this is more likely than not being, it will be his last fight at 135 pounds. He struggles to make that weight anyway. Uh, what'd you think of Devin Haney kind of, you know, going at top rank a little bit on social media? I was surprised just because since he came to top rank, he's been treated very well financially and mm-hmm. otherwise they like a King since he's come there. Uh, and the plan, of course, all along the three fight plan was for him to fight Lomachenko. I understand what he's saying, but he also has to remember that he's making $4 million plus to fight Lomachenko and they're going to try to bring the fight where they're going to make the most money. And if that means that the fight is going to be in May, what I would say to try to appease Devin Haney, because he's their fighter, uh, whether he remains with top rank thereafter is anyone's guess, but he is their fighter. Um, as is Lomachenko, he feels because Lomachenko has been with them longer that they're showing preferential treatment. All I would say to that is, well, who do you think top rank, they're never going to say this out loud, but who would they rather win the fight? The 24-year-old undefeated, fully unified, lightweight champion or the 34-year-old guy who's at the back end of his career and you're not going to really be able to do much with moving forward. I'm not saying they want Lomachenko to lose. I'm just saying from a business perspective, it would make more sense for them want, to want Devin Haney to win. Now, of course, do you think that? Possibility- do you think that's true? Because, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, but like, I, there's going to be competition for Haney after this fight. I think Eddie Hearn's going to go back at him and try to re-sign him, and there's some fondness there between the Haney's and, and Eddie Hearn. And if Lomachenko were to win it would set up a pretty big fight between Lomachenko and Shakur Stevenson before the end of the year like that. And I don't know if you get that if, if you certainly don't get Shakur Stevenson, but I don't know what the relationship would be with Devin Haney, regardless of the outcome of this fight moving forward. Well, they have to be wary of course, or, or mindful that he might leave of course, but there are other big fights. If, if Haney wins, there are other big fights in the top rank universe for him. You know, obviously Devin Haney against Shakur Stevenson's a fight people would want to see. And eventually they'll catch up to each other and be in, or Stevenson will catch up to him and be in the same weight class. And he goes to 140. Tiafima Lopez is still there. Josh Taylor's, still, you know, there are fights there for Devin Haney to be made um, if he remains with top, if he beats Lomachenko and remains at top rank. And the one thing you'd have to say is he has been compensated well. Now he was being overcompensated. Uh, by Matchroom and DAZN because they had to they had to pay the price to do business with him and to get a young, talented fighter like him on that platform and with Matchroom. So they overpaid uh, to some degree. But he's been, you know, Chris Hill have made somewhere, you know, by the time his first three fights with top rank will be completed, he'll have made somewhere around $11 million. I mean, he's been treated pretty well. He's, of course, been exposed to a much greater audience on ESPN. Um, and they're hoping to put the Haney-Lomachenko fight on ESPN, not on ESPN pay-per-view. I think, you know, that's the kind of fight that could draw between two and three million viewers. So, mm-hmm. his, you know, his, his profile would expand in that way. But but you're right, Chris, in that it's always lurking in the back of their minds that Haney could leave top rank. after He does have a good relationship with Eddie. Um, and, and he was treated well by DAZN, too, you know, financially and otherwise. So it's always a possibility that he would leave. But I don't think there's – I guess what I'm saying ultimately is I don't think there's some plot to wrong Devin Haney here. And in – if you're going to be paid that kind of money, there are some things that you're going to, what I would say to just resolve all of this. Okay. 
if you feel like the fight being in May is not fair to you, well, then you'll fight in June or July. Well, tell, tell us what's fair yeah. and what allows you to train in the right way, and we'll do that. Problem solved, yeah. right? I, there are no other restrictions later in the year. Now, he can't come back and complain and say, oh, I want the fight to happen sooner. Look, look they're making concessions on your behalf to, to, to make sure that you feel completely comfortable training for the fight and being as fully prepared as you can. You then can't complain that the fight's happening too late. Can't have it both ways. So yeah, I think with when I think about Haney and his future, one of the things I think about is Progre and what comes up next for him. Um, if that fight goes to a purse bid, I would expect Matchroom to bid on it. I would. Um, you know, Matchroom has had an interest in Progre peripherally. They were trying to do the Progre Hooker fight in the past. I would expect Matchroom to bid on a Progre-Ramirez fight if that fight went to a purse bid. And that, to me, would be a sign that Matchroom, which doesn't really have a U.S. footprint anymore, if you think about it, like, mo th their top fighters in the U.S. right now are women, frankly. You've got Katie Taylor, who is still part of Matchroom USA. You've got Alicia Baumgartner, who's there. They're going to wind up doing a deal with Amanda Serrano for a fight in early February. They don't have a lot of male fighters they've got bam rodriguez they've got some of the the smaller guys i think they're going to get in the mix for for a progre ramirez fight i don't have any that's not based on anything i'm being told directly but i think that if that went to a purse bit it wouldn't surprise me to see matchroom jump in and then like if you're in the progre business and if he can beat ramirez all of a sudden you're talking about a landscape at 140 at at the disown matchroom golden boy universe that makes sense to go out and and get devin haney because you can do a Devin Haney Regis Progray fight. You can do a Devin Haney Ryan Garcia fight. Um, there are some other lesser known names that might be available for the right price at 140. So I just think that Progray Ramirez fight is one to watch. Who walks away with the promotional rights for it? Because I, I had assumed when I was hearing that Ramirez was going to take that fight that it would be definitely a top ranked fight. I have been led to believe that's not necessarily the case moving forward, Keith. I think that there's a possibility somebody else jumps in and wins promotional rights for that fight. And Chris, as we've seen in the past, Top Rank is more than willing to allow DAZN to uh, out, either outbid, however They're you want to... let Jose Ramirez do that. Jose Ramirez has benefited from that. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I mean. Jose Ramirez, when he was an undefeated world champion, they allowed him to go fight on DAZN, no questions asked against uh, Maurice Hooker, and he made a lot of money. They might be more than willing to do that in this case as well, and then they had that frees up more money for them to make other good fights on ESPN within their budget. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, by that at all. Yeah, Jose's got, I think he's got a pretty big minimum. He's got a lot of, he's owed a lot of money. I think he said as much. I think he said Matchroom was surprised at how much, uh, how much he was gonna, he was getting paid um, from top rank. So we'll see. That That's an excellent fight. And I think, I think anyone should want to get in on that fight, especially someone like Eddie Hearn who wants to make uh, a name at 140 or start to get into 140 because that's, that's pretty much can't miss. Pro Gregor's Ramirez, two elite guys. That's going to be a fun fight uh, one way or the other. Uh, Keith, enjoy your fun fight this weekend. Rivera against Martin. Terrific fight on Showtime. I will not be there. I know you're shocked and you're disappointed. It won't be two out of the last three weeks. We'll be hey, ringside buddies. We'll, ta we'll take what we can get, man. Come on. You know? <laughs> Good to see you, my friend. Same here, Chris. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thanks. When we come back, my conversation with Jerron Ennis. 
So if you're looking to get more out of the NFL this season, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and incredibly easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over-under yards, you name it. So many more exclusive bets, like both teams to complete their first pass attempts. You can bet on virtually anything going on uh, in these games. FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Maryland. Marylanders, make sure you get in on the action with great offers just for you. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets when you join FanDuel with promo code BOXING. You bet with me with boxing, bet with me with the NFL. It's a great way to make those games matter a little bit more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, Jerron Boots Ennis is an undefeated 147-pound contender. On January 7th, he will attempt to win an interim title when he takes on Karan Shukajan. I hope I said that close to correctly. Uh, that's a fight that will take place on the undercard of Gervonta Davis's lightweight fight against Hector Luis Garcia. And Boots Ennis joins me on the show. Uh, for the uninitiated Boots, the nickname, where does it come from? Uh, my nickname was originally Boops, B-O-O-P-S. My uh, my mom gave me that nickname when I was little. And then, you know, when I was going to the gym, you know, playing around, everybody thought my dad was, like, saying, like, boots, like the shoes. We just kept it and stuck with it. So, you know, I wound up, wound up turning out good. <laughs> little did your mom know she was giving you your boxing nickname for life at that uh, time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, not your first time training for a fight over the holidays. I know you did it a couple of years ago for a January fight. Uh, how do you feel though, about having to kind of watch your weight over Christmas? I mean, I feel great. I'm, I'm still eating. <laughs> I'm still eating and doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And nothing changed. You know, uh, I know how to get my weight off right. You know, uh, the right way. So, you know, I'm not too worried about the holidays. I still eat. <laughs> Is there something though on the Christmas dinner table that you're like, you know, if I wasn't, training i would have this nah i'm eat, i'm eating i'm eating i gotta eat <laughs> you gotta eat to lose weight i'm eating <laughs> it's nice to be in your mid-20s then because huh? you know yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> nice everything right off uh i'm curious for a guy like you favorite christmas movie to watch over the holidays mm, any home alone that's good that's good. Yeah, any home alone. That's good. That's a different generation. That's even a generation almost before me. Like you, that that goes way yeah. back. Yeah, all the Home Alones. I think they're good. I, I love them. What got you into Home Alone? Uh, I don't. I don't. I think one day I just turned it on. It was on, and I, ever since <laughs> I just been watching all all the Home Alones, all four of them. Oh no, not all four. You watch two oh. and then stop. Like once Macaulay oh. Culkin exits, then you're you're out. Yeah. No, I watched all four. I, I, I still like the other ones, too. They're they not too bad. <laughs> that's that's dedication, man. I can't bring myself to watch one of them without uh, Macaulay cooking <laughs> in them. That's tough. That's tough for me. Um, we're, we're wrapping up 2022, and mm. you'll only have one fight 
this calendar year. Uh, 2020, you had three. 2021, you had two. This year, you were down to one. What has this year been like for you? How would you describe what it's been? I mean, this year, this year been great, even though I only got, you know, uh, one fight in. Uh, because, you know, uh, you know, Crawford and we, we were trying to figure out what Crawford and Smith was going to do. You know, it was holding it up a little bit. So, I mean, but it is what it is. You know, one fight this year, but we're going to be aiming for three next year. So that's the goal. So, you know, I, I've heard you say that before that Crawford Spence held things up. I've heard your father say it before. But what does that really mean? Has it been like, you know, if you were kind of hoping it either happened or one of them would vacate a title. What were, what, how did it hold up your career? Like just basically hoping they would, they would fight or whatever. See what, you know, see what was going on. That's everybody, you know, all the 47 pounders was waiting around to see what they was going to do. So nobody really wanted to engage anything until they found out what Crawford and Smith was going to do. So once they figured out what, what they was going to do, everybody started going in different ways and different things like that. So, and that's, I originally was supposed to fight in like November or something like that. And then I was supposed to fight in December. Then we wound up getting a call for the peer review. So I was like, I was like, why not? That's that's even better. You know, uh, and we was trying to get a, a, a solid opponent, you know, a great opponent. And we originally had Stan Jonas mm. locked in. And I, he, I think the w, WBA wound up making a, like an order or something like that for him and Ortiz. So, you know, they got to fight now. But, you know, hopefully we get the winner, winner of that, you know, or, 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 or Bud and uh, Earl Spence too. So it don't, don't matter. Yeah. Well, why? You know, I've I've heard you say before that you wanted Stanionis. Was it mm-hmm. about fighting an opponent the caliber of Stanionis? Was it the fact that he had a secondary title? Why did you want that fight specifically? Uh, I f- I feel like that was the best next option because we was trying to get Keith Thurman and he wasn't available. And you know, Stanionis a, a great fighter. You know, why not fight Stanionis? He got a belt. You know, uh, you know, and put on a beautiful show. You know, for the fans. You know, and and shine and show these guys that I'm the real deal. You know, I'm sure like like most of us, you started to believe for a while that Crawford Spence was going to get done. When it fell apart in late October, what was your reaction? Uh, I was I didn't know I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, I I don't know. Like I was like they 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 probably won't never fight <laughs> if they didn't fight this year. But I don't know. Hopefully, they do fight next year. And I mean, if not, you know, uh, that's an opportunity for me to fight one of them. You know, uh. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can make that happen. What, so do you, what do you think deep down, though? Like, I, I, you know, you're fighting for the IBF interim title, which presumably would mean that, you know, Errol Spence, if he doesn't fight Crawford, would have to fight you in order to maintain that title. I personally, Boots, don't, don't really believe either of those guys will fight you because you're, you're too talented and the risk is not worth the reward. I think Spence and or Crawford would more likely move up before they face you is realistically, do you think either one of those guys would get in the ring with you? I mean, they, they two grown men. Uh, they ain't scared of nobody. And I feel like they both would get in the ring with me. You know, it's only like, it's only a matter of them, you know, making any mind if they want to fight me or not, like, you know, right after. So, you know, I feel like Spencer fight me and I feel like Bubba fight me, you know, hopefully we can make that fight happen, you know, so I can take them belts from them. <laughs> yeah. I, I look, it, it's, it's a great fight. Um, you know, I, I do find it interesting that the IBF is ordering an interim title when technically Spence doesn't even have a fight yet. We haven't even, right. like, did, did was there a part of you that, you know, thought that maybe you would get a mandatory order to fight Errol Spence? Well, what, what, what's the interim belt? 
No, without. Like, even with, because, you know, Spence, we all think he's going to fight Keith Thurman. We assume he's going to fight Keith Thurman. But, you know, it's still not done yet. And I just found it interesting the IBF created an interim title when their actual title holder didn't have a fight booked yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I do think this, I think they're going to fight. I'm going to keep them going to fight. And, uh, I mean, and I feel like I'll be next in line, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, this IBF interim belt is going to put me right there where I need to be. You know, it's giving me that extra boost, you know, put me right there. You know, I can fight any 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 guy that got a belt next after this. If it's not Errol Spence, it'd be, you know, uh, Crawford, Stanionis, or whoever went out, Stanionis and Ortiz, you know, uh, any one of those guys. Yeah, it certainly makes you unavoidable and puts you in a position soon to have the full version. Exactly. I feel like it's falling right in, right in the place, right in the line. You know, uh, everything going how it's supposed to be going. All I got to do is handle, handle business January 7th, which I will do. Um, let me ask you first, how does how do you see the Estanionis Ortiz fight going? Um, That's a great fight. That's a 50-50 fight. You know, uh, two great fighters, you know, neither one of them going back up. I feel like they're going to be in the, in the pocket the whole time. You know, uh, and whoever going to be in the best shape, is that's who's going to win. It is a great fight. Um, I, yeah, I probably favor Ortiz a little bit. That may be because I see a lot more of his fights than I do uh, with Stan Ionis, with him fighting so often on DAZN. But, uh, you know, welterweight, Jerron, has been... It's one of those divisions that has not given us kind of what we wanted in the last 10 or 15 years. We did get Pacquiao Mayweather eventually, but it was past its kind of sell-by date. We still haven't gotten, gotten Crawford versus Spence. Like, mm. can you sit there right now, and if Ortiz wins, like... Mm. Can you are, you are you sure that you will get a fight against Virgil Ortiz? Not next, maybe, but in the next 18 months of uh, of next year. Most definitely. I, I feel like that's the that's one of the biggest uh, fights in boxing. Whoever went out of, you know, uh, Ortiz or Stanionis. So, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest fights in boxing. I feel like that could definitely happen in, within a year or six months. It could happen next, real for real. If it was up to me, it would happen next. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Uh, People gonna go different ways and try to move around, but I feel like if it was up to me, you know, I'd make anything happen. The best fights possible. Yeah, and, and you've created it seems like some flexibility there. You've you've taken some risks in your career by going somewhat independent. You've got a Showtime deal, which has been great for you, I'm sure. Um, but do you feel like you're you have a level of independence to kind of push for certain fights to happen? Uh, I feel like most definitely. Uh, shout out to Showtime. Appreciate them. You know, uh, they always. You know, looking out for me and and put me in the right position, things like that. And I feel like they they backing me one hundred percent in whatever fight that I want. Once I you know get a belt or or anybody else that I want to fight, they they will back me and, and you know let, let me get those fights and things like that. Fight fight whoever I want. I'm I'm already I gotta tell you like I, I'm you know after January seventh and then if Ortiz beats Danielis in February or March, I am just gonna lead the bandwagon for Ennis Ortiz if in that. Like, I'm telling you, man, Like I've, I've been, like, peaking for that fight a little bit over the last year, year and a half, but if both of you guys are either a title holder, like you will be on some level in January, and Ortiz will be a secondary title holder, but I don't, I, look, I don't think either Crawford or Spence is going to fight Ortiz either, frankly, but if you two guys are suddenly the, the men in the 147-pound division, that can't be a fight we wait like five years for in a different weight class. It just can't be. It's too good a fight between two fighters that are just too talented who can draw a crowd, who can you know, put butts in seats in Texas or California or the Northeast, wherever you decide to hold a fight like that. I mean, that's just a massive show. Right. I think it's a, a big show, a great show. You know, uh, I feel like that 
they'll make a lot of money. You know, uh, and a lot of people will be excited to see that. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Last question for you. What 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 do you what do you kind of try to show in this fight? Uh, coming up on January 7th. You're fighting guys pretty good, but relatively unknown, but you're fighting on a big stage. I mean, Geronte Davis, that, that building's probably going to be sold out. It's going to do a decent number, I'm sure, on pay-per-view. This feels like a good opportunity for you to show out in a fight like this. How do you feel going into this fight? Uh, I feel I feel great. You know, it's, it's only in Washington, Washington D.C., so, you know, that's that's right down the road from yep. Philly. You know, the whole <laughs> Philly going to be in the building, Jersey, Delaware, Virginia, everybody gonna be in the building. So you're just gonna be like me fighting at home, basically. You know, and I can't wait. You know, to put on a beautiful show. You know, get a uh, get a beautiful knockout. You know, uh, in front of my friends and family. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm gonna go out there and show me. You know, just me being me. You know, being being smart. You know, uh, picking my shots, putting that pressure on. You know, getting that knockout, looking good, showing my defense a little bit. You know, uh, and having fun and becoming victorious uh, with a knockout. Well, I'm glad to see you back. In the mix, Durant, uh, you're one of the biggest, best young stars in all of boxing. And I apologize in advance for filling up your timeline with like Ortiz Ennis, like hashtags and shit like that, because that's just that's just going to be me for most of 2023 if I don't uh, if that fight is on the table. Uh, I, I don't mind it. I'm going to retweet it. <laughs> <laughs> Good to talk to you, man. Good luck on uh, January 7th. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. When we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. 
So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, time now for this week's picks brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. This week, I am looking at a very competitive fight in Las Vegas. Frank Martin, Michelle Rivera, 135-pound fight. Great matchup between two of the better young fighters in the lightweight division and a fight where the winner will absolutely take a big step forward and be looking at a world title shot sometime in uh, 2023. Frank Martin is favored in this fight. Minus 280 right now over at FanDuel. I wouldn't take that bet. That's not, those aren't great odds. Minus 280 for Frank Martin. It's almost three to one at this point. I like Frank Martin to win, but the best bet I like in this fight is Frank Martin by knockout. He's got two straight knockouts, including one over Jackson Marinez, who is a solid fighter, a very good win, a very good knockout win for Frank Martin. I think Frank Martin is the real deal. He's 24 years old. He's been part of Errol Spence's stable for some time. He's trained by Derek James. I think he's got that knockout power in him, and I think he wins this fight by knockout. So take Frank Martin by knockout, Plus 195 over at FanDuel. That's the pick I like. That's the method of victory that I like. Frank Martin by knockout. That's my pick brought to you by FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eidek and Jerron Ennis for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. 